<laughs> We're now live. I think six weeks in a row and the phone almost fell over. Disaster. Crisis averted. Crisis averted. Never never a dull moment. Uh, it would have gone live and collapsed and people would have like, they died. It was the end of Sopranos. Just fade the black with no explanation whatsoever. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. Welcome to episode 31 of the Strength and Success podcast brought to you as always by Culture Nutra. So make sure you check out the website. And follow Culture Nutra. So uh, at Culture Nutra is this Instagram page, and then CultureNutra.com for all your supplement needs. I figured I should probably say that in the beginning of the podcast instead of the last thirty seconds when no one's on the podcast anymore. This is uh, Riley Presnell. Hi. I'm with me. a wonderful post and caption today. It's a great reminder for everyone that you are capable. Those are very powerful words. I am capable. That you should be saying every day. And I am Trevor Jaffe. And like I said, this is episode 31. This week's title is Swim in the Ocean, which is not a Florida Man reference. We'll get to that in a second. Some people have sent us questions throughout the week to answer. Reminder, you guys can ask questions here on the live that will usually go into great detail as opposed to like a quick story answer where it's like one paragraph. We get to go into a little bit more of a discussion on the topic here. So you guys are welcome to ask questions on the live. We get to as many as we can in the time we are on here. Yes, I do talk this fast if you're not used to seeing this uh, with or without caffeine. It's just how it goes. This is... This is uncaffeinated. That's just my own natural. Spicy water. <laughs> Spicy water. Um, apparently, if you post that you have bought a pair of Sperry's and they're really comfortable, people get exceptionally pissed off. There's like 10 messages in my inbox because everyone's like, but you love Vans. Like, why can't I love more than one shoe? Also, why can't people just let people like what they like? <laughs> I love that. I love that quote, like, don't yuck someone's yum. Like, I think that that's like really important. Uh, I've heard so <laughs> many variations of that. Like, don't ick someone's wow. Yeah, like if someone likes something and it doesn't affect you in any way, shape, or form, just move the fuck on. Like, <laughs> but I always say obsessing. don't shit on someone's shine. Yeah, I, I like that one too. Yeah, don't shit on someone's shine. So you guys are welcome to ask questions here. Uh, this is something that we've actually been talking about for a few weeks. Uh, it deals with the mental aspect of being a big fish in a small pond or swimming in the ocean and growing to the size of the sea. I want you to really picture that because you can be a big fish in a small pond or you can swim in the ocean and grow to the size of the sea, which means your capabilities are unlimited. Uh, obviously, 90% of this earth is covered in water. So we're talking about how much limitation is really out there that you put on yourself when you swim in a small pond. I don't remember what kind of fish it is. I really wish I could remember, but there's a fish that if you put into a small cup, it never grows. But if you put into a big tank, it grows like four times the size. I really wish I could remember what kind of fish that is. Um, but it's really, really interesting. It, it talks about environment, where you put yourself. Mm -hmm. Because when we're working with and coaching a lot of athletes, we're always dealing with some level of uncertainty or a lack of confidence or ability. People will be like, am I ready for this particular meet? Like if they're doing their first ever like showdown or Kern or an invite meet, like the Ghost Clash, um, Hybrid, things like that. Eventually you get strong enough, if you're doing this long enough, that you might get to a certain level and even though you're physically strong enough to be at that level, you may not be mentally strong enough to be there yet. Believe me, I know a lot of high level lifters that pull out of meets because they're not mentally there yet or they're worried about you know their performance or how they're gonna do in front of a live audience and a live stream and so forth. It's really important to put yourself in that environment for growth sake. Mm -hmm. There are people who qualify that they know they're not gonna win and they're not there to do that. They're there to elevate themselves. Mm -hmm. They're there to step up their game. They're there to challenge themselves. Can I do this in front of the, the spotlight, the attention and the whole nine? Because if you can exceed in that environment, succeed in that environment, you can succeed anywhere. 
Strength really carries you through life in every aspect, which is why you hear someone like Mark Bell say, strength is never a weakness. Your physical strength becomes your mental strength and your mental strength is what carries you through every task that you may not like. And there's gonna be a lot more of them in life, which is something I always talk about. You know, the older you get, the bigger your stressors get, the more important they are. It could be marriage, kids, um, growth potential and opportunities, starting your own business, a mortgage, whatever, or you have kids and your kids are in trouble and so forth. Dad shit. <laughs> but you're going to have to be able to grow and overcome what seems at times insurmountable. And the more you hold yourself back from growth, the less helpful you're going to be that for everyone in your circle because you haven't worked on your mental strength if you'd rather be a big fish in a small pond than swim with the sharks in the ocean. Yeah, well, I think... Um, I, so, fun fact, I learned how to swim by being thrown into a pool. Um, it wasn't that... I was taught how to swim or had any lessons or whatever like that. I was literally thrown into the pool um, by my stepmom and she said she'll either swim or she'll either swim or we'll have to save her from the bottom. Mm -hmm. Probably not the most effective. Uh, I didn't die because I'm here. And I'm actually a pretty good swimmer. So I'm actually really built for swimming. I'm not built for powerlifting. I'm built for swimming. I should be a swimmer. But I think that that applies here is that sometimes you have to be just thrown in to learn how to swim. Yeah. And, um, jump into the fire, as they say. Well, yeah, but not in the ocean. <laughs> um, I'm oil spills. <laughs> so, you know, like sometimes you just have to take that leap and it comes down to being, um, not afraid of discomfort or like not being averse to possibly failing, right. um, possibly going into a situation where you will not do well. And that's what Trevor's talking about. Like if you get an invite to a large meet and you're nervous because you're not going to win, who cares? You got invited, so that means you qualified. That, that means, means you're you, good enough to be there. Yeah, that means you hit that standard qualification so that you can go there and you can show what you're capable of. If you're not going to win, who gives a fuck? <laughs> like, let's be honest. Uh, I wasn't going to win the showdown, but I wanted to do that because it's another challenge. My second meet was the Arnold. That's a pretty big meet. Yep. Um, just to jump in and be like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. Um, I am luckily, other than the showdown, but that was a lot of other um, factors that worked against me for doing for not doing so well. So you're still there? Um, but I showed up and generally I do better with a crowd. I'm one of those people that is, um, I'm a little too proud to fail kind of thing and I'll be a lot more stubborn if I know people are watching me. It's kind of like a show-offy thing. You know, you kind of want that quality. But if you're someone who is only gonna compete in the local meets because you know that you'll win or that you'll be the hero at the local meet, um, you will never grow past the size of your tank like Trevor was yeah. talking about um with like the site with the size of the fish I not really growing. I remember what kind of fish it was but it's fascinating research irrelevant um <laughs> but you know um we see that I see that a lot and I see I see that happen with really really good lifters like they have great totals and they still continue to only compete at local meets because they're scared that if they compete at a larger stage they're not going to do as well and also like alternatively I get a lot of lifters where the first excuse that they give for why they gave a poor performance is something along the lines of like, well, I've never lifted on a deadlift bar or I'd never lift with kilo plates or it was a long pause or the judging was bad or whatever. Those are all excuses and I don't care about those. Um, you know, there are times when judging can be egregiously bad. Um, if you never get to train on kilos, yeah, it's gonna feel different. But the whole point of training is to train yourself to be ready for meet day. So if you have gone through an eight to 10 week prep or 12 or however long your coach does it, that means that you have spent eight to 12 weeks 
preparing to be ready for that day. So anyone who thinks that they're not ready for meat day, that's just you being scared. Yeah. Um, and if you're like, I, I told Trevor once, uh, when he was in the garage that if you're waiting for powerlifting to not be scary, you're going to be waiting forever because it's always scary. It's, it's always scary. putting a heavier amount of weight on your back or in your hands. It's always going to be pushing your use yourself past the limits that you originally set for yourself. It's always going to be scary. So if you're never willing to just dive in, um, you will never get over that fear. So if you qualify for a large meet and you're too scared to do it because you're not going to win, who cares? Do it anyways. You qualify, sign up right. for it. Um, you know, just dip your toes in. If the, even if that means that you re reveal that you're not that great under pressure, that's something else that you learned about yourself. And that's something else that you can work towards getting better at. But you will never get better at these things if you never actually give yourself the opportunity to be better at those things. You have to try. Absolutely. Yeah. You 100% have to try. And it can be very daunting when you walk onto a stage and you're competing next to the top five in the world. That is scary. <laughs> you know, uh, Susan Salazar was lifting before me in the, in the order at Showdown. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Like, she's so strong, you know? And that's like... That can be kind of like a little bit of a culture shock because you're like, oh man, I'm really, I'm right next to these like really, really strong people. What am I doing here? You earned it. You earned it. You, you earned the right to be there. It. Yeah. So sometimes you just have to throw yourself in. Yeah. Don't be so scared. I, I hate to use myself as an example because I don't want to say I'm an outlier, but I'm a little bit fucking crazy and I will try things. Uh, 11 days out before the showdown, I decided I was going to try and make 81. This is 11 days. And Riley looked at me and she's like, are you sure? And I said, listen. The worst that happens is I don't make it. That was literally, I looked at the worst case scenario. Like the worst case scenario is I don't make it. So what? I'm, I'm scheduled to be in the meet at 188. I'm actually qualified to meet in three different weight classes. So what's the worst that could happen is I don't make it. When you try, people are like, well, I can fail. Yeah, but what's the worst that can happen if you fail? <laughs> You're still gonna be alive. Life goes on, you try again. Failure is a roadmap to success. Failure is only a mistake if you don't learn from it. Right, yeah, it's a roadmap to success because we don't, we don't succeed every time we try something. We succeed when we learn how to do something and that takes risk. You have to take that risk and you learn how to do things over and over and over again and then you get proficient enough at it that you get better. And that's how life works. You just simply have to keep trying until you get better. There's a really good question from Dylan here. How important is a surplus for strength progression? How fast can you progress with just maintenance or deficit with adequate protein? Really good question. Andy Galpin just put up a whole post about this, that if you are looking to gain muscle size, you're not probably going to gain it if you're in a caloric deficit. However, if your deficit does not exceed 500 calories a day, you can actually 100% still get stronger. You can get stronger while you're dieting down if you're controlling all the variables and factors, meaning that you are training intently enough, you're using enough of a stimulus as far as the loads and, and volumes and so forth, and that you're getting adequate calories as far as proteins required and carbohydrates required to fuel those workouts, you can still get stronger in a slight or mild caloric deficit. If you went beyond the 500, it took away that aspect a little bit. It's a little bit too steep and you probably shouldn't be on the 500 calorie deficit unless for some reason health is a concern, like you're just grossly overweight and you need to lose that for your heart health. Uh, other than that, if you do a slow controlled process, not try to lose all the weight in six weeks, but instead take 16 weeks at, a, at a cycling up and down, you can actually still get stronger. So you can still get stronger in a slight caloric deficit. You just won't necessarily get bigger. I uh, can actually use myself as an example for this one, I feel like, because um, over you know, a course of like a year, a year and a half or so, I lost about 35 to 40 pounds somewhere in there. And like, uh, for the most part, my strength has stayed relatively the same. Like if anything, my, uh, if you want to measure it this way, like my dots and my wilks have gone up 
um, at my body weight now. So realistically, weight to body weight ratio, I've gotten stronger. And I've done that by, like Trevor mentioned, kind of um, slow and steady. Like my calories were a little bit less. My energy expenditure was up. So like we started walking every night, like one to, uh, a mile and a half to two miles every night. I sweat a little bit more in training because we mostly train in the garage. So my intensity of training has gone up. So I've expended a lot more calories and I just cleaned up my diet and ate a lot cleaner than what I was before. Um, but relatively my strength has either stayed the same or gone, gotten slightly elevated from losing the weight and being in deficit. So it is possible. Um, the people that say that it is impossible to, uh, lose weight and get stronger. I feel like more are on the mentally weak side of anything. You know, they're allowing themselves to have an excuse. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, they're either going to be, they're like, Oh, my leverages are changed. This is going to be, this is going to be bad now instead of trying to find a way to make the leverage changes work for them. Like I switched from conventional to sumo, um, because I'm able to get closer to the bar weighing less than I was when I was pulling conventional. So people give themselves excuses for why they can't be stronger rather than just figuring out a way to be stronger or keep their strength. Yeah. While I'm a deficit, I'd be more concerned with making sure you're hydrated and you have yes. plenty of electrolytes. Because usually when someone's like, well, I didn't eat all day and I was depleted, your glycogen stores are still full from the day before. That's a bullshit excuse. What that means is you didn't hydrate all day and you're, you're feeling that lack of performance because even a 2% dehydration can cause a lack of performance. Mm-hmm. So make sure you are hydrated. You know, if you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated. Keep drinking. Yep. Load up. Make sure you have the electrolytes loaded up. Uh, for some reason, I saw that Titus joined. Titus is my son. So if he's still on her high and if you're also still on her, get your ass back to class. <laughs> uh, do you want to go with that question or you want to go Let's with see. That? Is it possible to have too much protein daily? Like, is there a limit to where it becomes more wasteful than productive? Interesting question. Uh, too much is only a situation if you have some type of kidney disorder where it's tough on the kidneys. Very rare that people have that where there's too much protein and you're making the kidneys work too hard. Usually they have like necrotic kidney disease or things like that and people who are on dialysis and stuff like that have to minimize protein intake. So what I say there's too much, no, you're probably not in danger of that. What I say there's eating to a point where it's no longer beneficial, yes. Most studies show that protein requirements end up being between like 0.88 kilograms per body, uh, 0.88 grams per kilogram of body weight all the way up. So somewhere between like uh, 0.88 would be like, like multiply by 0.9 your body weight versus like to 1.2 times your body weight is how much protein requirements it it can change. It can vary. There's some studies showing that elderly individuals tend to need a little bit more protein. Uh, People who use anabolic substances tend to need a little bit less because your protein turnover is faster. So you don't have to have that much. There is the Jose Antonio study that showed two grams of protein showed an increase in muscle mass. Granted though, these people were on a little bit more of a moderate to lower carb intake. So the carbs are protein sparing. So if your protein is right at your requirement levels and you have a little bit of a higher carb intake, which is gonna benefit performance, it will spare that protein. So you're not breaking it down as much or unutilizing it as a um, energy substrate. It's a very poor energy substrate. Your body's gonna utilize carbs first, fats probably second, and protein last as an energy substrate. So we don't need to go overboard on that. The reason why people tend to eat or overeat protein is it's much more satiating. It's much more enjoyable to have a thick steak than it is to have, say, a potato. So it could be a little bit more satiating, but you don't necessarily need it. Um, when I diet down hard for like 81 cuts and stuff like that, my protein pretty much is set at one gram per pound of body weight. So if I was weighing like 204, 203, I was basically just having 200 to 205 grams a day of protein. And then carbs would be minimized up and down depending on where I need to be. Like a normal training day for me, carbs are usually like 350. Um, for lower body days, upper, they might be like 300, but then, because I cycle. 
but when I'm dropping down, they start to drop all the way down to like 1.5, and even as the last phase is like one gram per pound body weight, and the last week I trickle them out, so I get rid of the water weight. But most people overdo their protein intake. Is it detrimental? No, but is it beneficial? Also no. So just kind of eat at what you need, and then you could, you'll do better putting in more carbohydrates and healthy fats than you will with putting in more protein. There are some people that are doing like a protein overfeeding type of diet that I've seen. Um, I don't know the specifics of that, but they say, they say that it is beneficial for them. But I also would, am not, I'm not under, I'm, I don't know what their carbohydrate or like fat intake is with the protein overfeeding, quote unquote. Um, I also don't know what overfeeding definition is to them. So that might be something you could look into if you want. But uh, generally I don't, more is not always better. Better is better in these situations, right. you know, so just eating quality proteins and um, getting the requirements that you need based on if you are trying to bulk, cut, maintain, whatever um, is effective. If something is work, if there's a way that you're eating that is working for you and it's achieving whatever it is that you are looking for, then there's no need to switch it up. If it's already working, it's working, you know. So if you're if you're looking for a different diet because you're bored of what you're already doing, that may not always be the answer. So I don't overcomplicated doesn't always mean that it's going to work either. Yeah. So sometimes you can keep it simple. Keeping your nutrition simple is the best way to adhere to it. So whatever your goal is, I find that keeping it simple works a lot better. Yep. And sustainability. Know your habits. Uh, for example, I'm not super duper hungry in the morning. So my smallest meal of the day tends to be breakfast and I'm ravenous at night. So my meals tend to grow in size and portion as the day goes on because that's when I'm most hungry and that's what keeps me adhering to my diet is knowing when I'm hungriest. So my bigger meals are more in the evening and I'm not that hungry first thing in the morning, but I do want to fuel myself. So I make sure I have something, you know, I have like 20 grams of protein and like 30 grams of carbs. And that's about it. That's breakfast. It's real mine's simple. the opposite. I'm hungrier <laughs> in the morning. So I will eat a bigger meal in the morning, eat smaller meals as the day goes on. It's very rare that Riley actually finishes dinner. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> hungry by that time. It's, it's like the fifth or sixth meal of the day. I'm over it by that point. <laughs> um, question for More Than Gains. What's the best frequency of rest days during a bulking period? So we just talked about nutrition. So this feeds into that. First, if you're looking the bulk, you have to understand your calorie structure and you should be at a mild to medium surplus. What I mean by that is just taking in 2,000 extra calories a day beyond what you need is a surefire way to just get bulky as in bulky fat. You know, if you want to actually gain muscle mass, you have to understand it's a long, tedious process that starts with just a small caloric surplus. You know, so I would start with 250 to 500 a day of a caloric surplus. But when you're looking to bulk, you, you have to actually give yourself a little bit more volume and time under tension to stimulate muscular size. So you're actually going to expend a little bit more energy in the gym, not less. Like when we're peaking, we're minimizing. We're trying to get rid of fatigue. So we're doing less volume, less work and so forth to allow the fatigue to you know dissipate so we can perform. When you're trying to get bigger, you need to have higher volumes, more time under tension, uh, which does mean that, you know, there's, a, there's not going to be a frequency of rest days that's more beneficial. You just have to make sure you've created a training stimulus, you have the caloric stimulus, and that you're not outworking your recovery. What I mean by that is some people will actually add another workout day so they can keep eating more when they're bulking. So some of my lifters might prep for meat with four days a week of training, but if you're trying to grow a little bit in the off-season, they might have five days a week in off-season, which actually minimizes one of their rest days because they're not looking to rest and recover. They're looking to create more of a stimulus and then they're adding the calories. Yep. The recovery is gonna come from the caloric intake, not from more rest days. So that's a time where you might wanna look into actually increasing your work output to tolerate and create a stimulus for those additional calories coming in so your body has a reason to store them as muscle mass. If anything, I noticed that rather than switching the amount of rest days, I noticed that their deloads 
tend to come less frequently. Mm-hmm. Like someone who's in a surplus, if they generally deload every fourth week, I might be able to push them to every fifth week because they are trying to accumulate the extra fatigue with building muscle and whatnot. Um, and then they are more recovered because they are taking more calories in. So it's not necessarily that they are, you know, uh, adding or subtracting a rest day, but more so that their actual block of training is extended an extra week because of their recovery. Right. When you want to minimize fatigue, you do less. When you want to maximize fatigue, which is what we're trying to adapt and grow to, you do more. And it means you're also going to eat more. So first thing in order is figure out what your caloric nutrient ideals are, you know, how much protein you need, how much carbs you need. And realize if you're going to be adding additional work and time and attention, that might go up even more. So if you think you just need to add 500 on baseline, but all of a sudden you've added an extra 100 or 200 caloric a day, you might need to work up to 700 above baseline to start seeing that growth because you're burning more calories because you're working a little bit more frequently and spending more time under tension. Yep. All right. Um, Question submitted to me was, I've noticed whenever I do have to do percentages higher than 90%, I get scared and psych myself out, especially when it comes to squats. Physically, the weight doesn't feel that heavy, but mentally I'm like, oh man, what if I fail? Which makes me lift very hesitantly. My question, have you encountered this mental block? Have, how are, have you or Trevor pushed through it? Everyone at yes. some point <laughs> encounters this mental block mm-hmm. where the weight starts to feel heavy. Uh, there's a few ways to counteract that. And one would be to spend more time holding those loads, not lifting those loads, holding those loads. Uh, so heavy holds help more psychologically than they do physically. So if you were to walk out, say 10% more than your max squat, just for numbers sake, make it easy. If your max squat were 200, that would be you walking out 220 and not necessarily squat it, but just holding it. You get a little bit more comfortable with that load on your back. It doesn't make you stronger because you haven't taken it through any range of motion, but mentally when you unrack 200 now, it doesn't feel as heavy because you've held 220. So that's one thing you can do is heavy holds. A lot of people will do like heavy squat holds or heavy squat walkouts. It was very popular in the 70s and 80s with the York system when people were getting used to heavier loads. Um, Some partial range of motion work can get you a little bit more comfortable with it and you actually are moving it through a range of motion, which builds some comfort there. Like a three board press for a bench press, you know, getting used to that. Um, People will use a slingshot for that building that confidence there. And uh, that's one aspect. The other aspect is attacking the unrack. If you gingerly unrack and it feels loose or heavy, it's going to feel heavier than you want it to. But if you clench really, really hard and you drive up into the bar and you unrack it forcefully, you will instantly feel stronger. There's a neurological drive that comes with that amount of tension and that amount of force that makes the weight feel lighter. Um, There's a lot of times in a meet where I'll unrack a third attempt and be like, shit, that's heavy. You know what happens? I missed that one. Yeah. And there's a lot of times where I will attack it very, very hard and unrack it and be like, wow, that feels so light. I've got this one. And typically you do. <laughs> so how you approach the bar will really change and dictate how it feels. If you approach the bar timidly and think, oh my God, that's heavy, it's going to feel that much heavier. It kind of coincides with Riley's post today of I am capable. Mm-hmm. This is what you've trained for. This is what you've prepared for. If And this is why I also say in my athlete guidelines, no lazy reps. If you move 60%, 70%, 80% with full velocity and full force, that's all your body is used to is moving weight as hard and fast as you can. If you take 60, 70, 80 with lackadaisical because it's 60%, 70%, or 80% and just coast through those reps, you teach yourself to coast through. And when it gets to the point where you have to create maximal force, your body doesn't know how. Every raw rep, once you're warmed up and actually above like 60% or an RPE6, should be lifted with maximal force, even on a deload, lift with maximal force. That's the whole point of dynamic effort work is to move the weight as fast as possible because this is a sport, powerlifting, of maximal force production. Yep. 
you will always be teaching yourself maximal force production. So beyond the mental aspect, if you've conditioned your body to always do that, it doesn't know anything else. People will look at me and, and she laughs because I will, the bar will pop off my back with a certain number for squats and then I'll move a weight and be like, that's my RPE nine. And someone's like, no, 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 that's not your RPE nine. That's like a seven. And She's I'm like, like, no, yes, it is. that's his nine. <laughs> my body only knows how to go fast. I, I, I don't have another two reps in me. I have maybe one rep in me because that's what an RPE nine is. By the way, if you put RPE eight, just because you say RPE eight doesn't make an RPE eight. If you don't have two more reps in you, it's not an RPE eight. If you don't have three more reps in you, it's not an RP7. I don't care how easy you put it on the internet. That's just what an RP system is. It means how many reps, how your perceived effort and so forth, how many reps in reserve you, you truly have is what that is. But if you're always lifting with maximal velocity, that's all you're going to know how to do. And you're going to get that much more confident. That's why a lot of times you would see peaking systems where they never went above 92.5% in the gym because they're moving the weight as fast as they can. So when you get to the meet, you move the weight as fast as you can. Uh, big proponents of that, Dr. Fred Hatfield, compensatory acceleration training. Josh Bryant is huge on compensatory acceleration training. Hatfield was his mentor. Um, Chad Wesley Smith never went above 91, 92% in training, but would lift 103, 104, 105 in a meet because he only moved with velocity. You have to learn how to do that because that's what this sport is, always moving with velocity. We kind of like uh, bantered towards the end of our workout about this question specifically, so I have two schools of thought here for that one. So... It's 90%, right? Which to Trevor, like this is what Trevor and I both kind of like unanimously agreed to. If it's 90%, that means it's within your wheelhouse. It's less than 100%. So it's something that you are projecting to have hit. And realistically, it's something that you are projecting to hit potentially for two to three reps. Some people can rep out 90% for three reps. Right. Some only can do one, depends on your uh, lifting style, power output, all that kind of stuff. But 90% is well within your wheelhouse. It's not It's not a one rep max. It's not something that has crushed you before. It is something that's like, oh yeah, I could do this. This is my opener. Yep. That's your opener for meat day is generally around 90 to 92%. So it's something that you can definitely do. And so, opener is last warm up. Absolutely. So this is um, a warm up weight still. So it is reminding yourself like what I posted today that you are capable of that. And I've, um, I've definitely gotten in not recently, but in the past, I got into that habit of like kind of being nervous about like 90 plus percent. Um, and then eventually one day I said, so what? Like to failing, because I would always, you know, ask myself, I would always say, oh, what if I fail this weight? Um, and then I started saying, so what? What if I do fail it? What's the worst that's going to happen? That I don't stand up with it? Okay. That just means that I didn't have it that day. Um, that doesn't mean that I won't ever hit that weight. Um, that means that I was definitely in my head if I can't hit 90%. Um, that also could mean that I didn't hydrate, didn't fuel, didn't sleep, didn't recover, whatever. There's a multitude of reasons why you miss a weight in the gym, but who cares? Um, it's the gym. It doesn't ultimately matter. If you are someone who's planning on competing, your gym lifts really don't matter. Um, it really comes down to what you're hitting on the platform. And if you fail on the platform, also, so what? Right. <laughs> you know, like the spotters are going to catch you. Um, you're going to be safe. You're in an environment where um, hopefully you have a really good team of people that can save you and spot you and put you back in the rack and you just move forward from it. Yeah. Um, if you've gone nine for nine every meet, you haven't even tried. You left pounds on the platform. Seriously. Yeah. Um, I've never even gone nine for nine. Eight for eight is the best I've gotten. And I didn't take a third dollar because I crapped myself on the I, second. <laughs> I went nine for nine one time and that was at my first meet. And I honestly remember... Um, being like, oh, I had, I 
could have had more in me than if I went nine for nine. Like that was more disappointing. Like, yeah, it's not fun to go five for nine. Like that's not fun either, but at least I know I tried, yeah. you know? Um, so that's what it comes down to. But ultimately ask yourself, so what? If you're at, if you're like, why, what if I fail this? So what, you know, like that, that's what happens. And like, I know that that's not a, uh, great or a delicate answer or anything, but I think you need to interrupt that thought of failure with who cares is really ultimately what I think it comes down to. I just want to listen to like Metallica, Garage Days, So What Now, which is a cover of the Anti-Nowhere League song, which is really grotesque, but so what? That's the whole point of the song. I just keep going, so what? You know, no matter what happens, so what? You're going to overcome it. You're going to build from it. You're going to learn from it. Uh, Edward Blair asked, do you program your athletes with heavy holds? Not often, unless I start to recognize a confidence issue. Um, it's not going to benefit a lifter through the full range of motion. And so I try not to add extra work. Typically, most often you'll see this. Somebody has a number in their head that, that scares them. Like for, let's say, for example, a female benching one plate for the first time, 135. You'd be surprised how many times they miss it every time there's that one plate on there, even if you know they demonstrated they can bench 145 by projection. So having them hold heavier weights like 145 and when they want to unrack the 135 becomes no problem. Or also loading up micro plates. I had a female lifter who missed 135 four times. And she, every time she would put it in there, she just psychologically went off. So I had her boyfriend load 140 on there, but with smaller plates, and she had no idea what was on there, and she nailed 140. And I remember being in the gym with them, Eddie and Anita, and I remember being in the gym with them, like, Anita, you just bench 140 with a pause. She's like, I did? Uh, she had a super high-pitched voice. She's like Marissa Tomei. But she couldn't believe it, and you know what happened the next time we put the plates on? She doubled it. She went from being scared of it to doubling it. So it, it's more of a psychological thing. Uh, I don't program them unless I feel they're necessary psychologically for someone to do that, just get used to holding things, or in some cases, coming back from an injury. So coming back from say like a shoulder injury or bench injury, you don't feel like it's stable. Just holding that weight for a long period of time and letting the serratus do their job and stabilizing the scapula sometimes can help because it's an isometric hold, just holding positions and so forth. But that's not usually done excessively heavy beyond max. That's just holding to build up the conditioning to the, the lift again. Uh, so I don't program them very often unless I feel they're necessary psychologically. Uh, I just programmed heavy holds on bench for Shauna. Um, I went through a... The way that I progressed it was a four week block with a heavy hold. I did a four week block of a reverse band, which I also don't program that often. Um, and then I had her do a pause bench and she actually ended up hitting a five pound bench PR. So that's pretty cool. But the reason why I did the heavy hold was for confidence. Um, she had taken a lot of time off for some health issues. And so when she came back um, to lifting in general, she kind of wasn't the most confident as she could be. I could see, pers I could see through her lifting that she had more in her um, but the confidence wasn't there. So what I would do is after her main pause bench work, I would program in the heavy hold and it would start, it, would, it went like 97.5, 100%, 102%, 105% the block and just progressed it that way, just like 10 second holds. Um, and it was really, it really helped her like what Trevor was talking about. Once she unracked it, she was like, oh, this doesn't feel heavy at mm -hmm. all. Um, same thing with the reverse band, like, yeah, it doesn't really reverse band and heavy holes. They don't necessarily actually make you stronger because it's underloading the bottom where you need the most strength. And it's also just holding it above your chest. Um, but it is big for the confidence and it helped her specifically because that's what she needed to build back up was that confidence. And she did hit a five pound PR. So whatever mentally it unlocked in her really, really helped. Is it actually making anyone stronger? No, 
It's just making them mentally more ready to hit those weights. Yep, and strength starts with it in. So if you believe you can do it, you probably will. If you believe you can't or it's heavy, you probably won't. Yep. It is a little bit of a mind shift that you have to work on. And, and Riley talked about that today. It's something you work on every day. Yep. You know, if you have a problem, that problem's always there. So you always work on the solution. You don't just do it occasionally. Uh, what do we got? Uh, Joey, what about training when sick? Do you guys have your clients change anything or does it stay the same percentage-wise? Knowing a client is not 100%, but also not missing a day. Um, that's really going to come down. I can never force someone to train when they're sick. I can tell you that uh, I've never missed a day while I was sick, uh, with the exception of when I had MRSA. <laughs> I had a staph infection when I would, I would go to uh, do uh, grappling and, and MMA stuff. It was on the mats and from shaving my head. I ended up with MRSA on the back of my head. That was pleasant. Um, but... I don't force anyone to train when they're sick. If someone individually wants to take the week off to recover, I'm not going to shame them for it. But I'm also fortunate that I have the option of going to my garage, so I'm not exposing anyone to this other sickness other than Riley, who'd be catching it anyways because she's here. But, you know, if someone is sick and I always tell them, like, listen, if you want to go in and you're capable of going in, I have no problem with you making it lighter, just getting some stimulus or moving because sometimes sweating helps get it out of the body and do things. Um, generally, though... When I'm lifting, when I'm sick, I don't miss a beat. I just take longer between uh, sets because I'm usually like not able to breathe. But I have the same strength level. I'm totally fine. If I'm hydrated and fed, my strength isn't going anywhere just because I'm sick. Mm -hmm. I just probably need a little bit more time between sets to get my air back because I'm struggling to breathe because my nose is stuffed or I'm coughing. But I've never found that sickness impacts my strength in any way unless it was something super, super viral that I needed like an antibiotic for. Uh, even then, I would just go into the gym and move because I feel like sweating helps me get the funk out of my body, even if I train lighter. So I would do that, you know, back in the day a little bit differently. Like if I had, I haven't been that sick in a while. But if I've gotten to that point where I was that sick and I needed an antibiotic, I just train light and sweat and maybe even did a little cardio just to sweat out some more. Um, not like running, because if I'm running, it means there's a zombie chasing me and you should run too. But I will ride a bike or walk, you know. So uh, you, you can train sick. Is it polite to do if you're in a commercial gym or a shared environment? No. If you have the option to train at your house and you're not exposing anyone to that sickness, by all means, go for it. If you personally want to take time off or be lighter with that, I'm okay with it. You know, that's, that's a personal preference. There's no science that says you're going to lose anything because you're sick unless you're not eating. You know, the only time people lose strength is when they stop eating and they're depleting themselves. That's when they feel lethargic and down. As long as you're still able to feed yourself and you're able to do things, you're going to be totally fine. Yeah, I agree. Um, where if, it, if a lifter, you know, tells me that they're sick and they want to take the day off, that's fine. You can take the day off. Um, we can just resume when you're starting to feel better. Or if they do want to go in, um, I just tell them, you know, like aim for the same rep scheme that I have programmed, just find an appropriate weight. Generally, I'll say like an RPE seven or eight, just to keep it moderate. So that way they're not like over fatiguing themselves. Um, but generally the first thing that I say to every lifter that says that they are sick is rest, recover, eat, hydrate, all that kind of stuff. Um, I am similar to Trevor in the fact that if I am sick, I also don't miss a beat. I don't think I have missed a single training session in uh, a powerlifting session in five years. Uh, that's my whole time in powerlifting. So, uh, I actually, since, um, since Saturday, I have been, uh, this is going to be TMI for the podcast, but you're here, you're, here and you, you're here and you ask the question. So I'm going to answer it for you. Um, I probably spent five, I think it was five nights, um, between the hours of 1am and 7am waking up every hour to hour and a half to go sit in the bathroom for 45 minutes to an hour. 
um, with the most excruciatingly painful diarrhea I have ever had in my entire life. Um, like I said, it's TMI, sorry, but you asked. So that was five days in a row. Um, I also ended up starting my period in that midst of that too. It's with, been a good week. <laughs> with, really, uh, with really horrible cramps on top of the diarrhea. Um, yet I still woke up every single day and I did my best to hydrate. I took thermotabs, I drank water, I ate what I could eat that I didn't think would upset my stomach any further. Um, I don't know if I assume it was like a stomach virus or whatever because things were green. Um, right. And I actually ended up benching five pounds more in the gym than I did at Showdown. Um, I hit my projected opener for surge pretty easily and I deadlifted my opener relatively easily as well. So those are around 90, my deadlift and my squat were around 92 to 93% and my bench is actually technically, I think it was like 95% of what, um, of what, Lifetime uh, max. Yeah. yeah. So, um, being depleted, uh, having no sleep and everything, I still made it into the gym and did what I was supposed to do and plus some. So I won't necessarily feel much sympathy for you if you are sick and you don't want to lift, but it is not my decision to make. And I would never force someone to do something that they didn't want to do. If you don't want to lift, you don't want to lift. That's fine. Everyone has their own threshold of discomfort that they're willing to go through ours just clearly tends to be a little bit higher than everyone else's at, at the moment yeah so it, it, it's mental yeah, you know you, you, you tell yourself you're sick and you're depleted that's how you're gonna feel same as the the 90 or above load you know she had every reason not to do her peaking weights this week but did them anyways because she's getting ready for a meet she's like I, I feel you know okay to do this and i was uh, reminding her, I'm like, hey, if you can do this, this depleted, yeah. wait till meet day. <laughs> well, and it's, it's funny because the, the morning of the bench was the night, the night before bench was actually the worst night that I had. It was, I mean, I was legitimately up from 1am to 7am. Um, I, I would try to go back in bed and lay down and I was just so uncomfortable that I couldn't even lay down anymore. So I just sat in the bathroom basically from 1am to 7am. Um, and that, that next morning I was like, okay, well maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just hold off and I'll skip bench today and I'll just do it tomorrow. And I was like, nope, nope, you're not going to do that. You're going to go in and you're going to do what you need to do. And I'm really glad that I did. Cause like I said, I benched five pounds over, but I didn't come. So if I had, you know, pushed that off, but mentally I was ready to do it mentally. I wanted to do it physically. I was being a little bit held back, but I didn't allow myself to succumb to that. Yep. But, um, training one stick, that's all, that's obviously a, uh, personal preference. You do it if you want to, or don't do it if you don't want to. All right, next question. Um, okay. Favor or most effective activations on favor or most effective activations on meet day for warm ups. I answered this a little bit in my story already, but okay. So let's clarify because there's a big thing right now that people go nuts with the term activations uh, because it's insinuating that like your glutes are off or whatever stabilizers are off, and that, that's not necessarily the case. And no one could ever prove that they're off because you'd be a paraplegic or quadriplegic or you know limp. And you're not limp. You can walk, talk, and do things. So maybe you are. If you are not, I'm, I'm sorry. But if you are able to do those things, you know, activations don't turn anything on. What they really do is they make you mentally aware of those muscle groups. So maybe you can use them a little bit more efficiently within a movement. And this also stems down to, because Riley's talked about this a little bit, when it comes to meat day, why would you do anything different? Why would you like have somebody else's favorite activations or favorite warm-ups or favorite movements for you just because that's what they do? First, never pair it, never pair it, never mimic somebody else because you're not them. 
whatever you do in the gym to warm up, if you warm up at all, if you do something in the gym to warm up and it makes you feel good, do the exact same thing on meat day. Yeah. You don't change anything just because it's meat day. You do more of the same because training has gone really, really well and you want to continue that trend. So you keep everything exactly the same. Meat day is a fancy training day. Meat day is a fancy training day where people are loading your plates for you and there's a whole group of spotters and people clap every time you stand up and down. So there's no reason to change anything on meat day. Whatever you've done in training, it should be exactly what you've done in meat. The only thing I tell people is maybe do a little bit less. You know, if you have like three or four warm-ups or three or four sets of each or two or three sets of each maybe come down to just one or two you know conserve a little bit of energy you want to make sure you have it for the platform we're not trying to get through an entire training session we're just getting through nine attempts so just enough to get you moving and feeling good and if you need to do some so-called activation or warm-up drills do them uh, i've been in meets where i've seen people do that i've been on the floor i've done like dead bugs bird dogs and stuff like that because it helps kind of set me mentally because i do that in the gym so it sets me mentally for the meet day and i've seen other people who do them all the time in the meet, and I'm sorry, in training, and never do them on meet day because they're just so nervous or amped up. They just want to, you know, get under the bar. Right? You forget. You forget. <laughs> so I always tell people the best thing you can do on meet day is the same thing you do on Tuesday. Yep. You know, you don't change a damn thing. Yep, I agree, hundred percent with that. That's what I said on my story too. Is like you don't you don't change what's already working. You know, like kind of like what I mentioned with the diet earlier. If your diet's working, you don't change it because you're bored. Mm -hmm. You stick with it because that's what's that's what's effective and that's what's working for you. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. 100%. Uh, meat day snackies. <laughs> <laughs> Hamburger, fries, and pizza. Um, that's if I'm watching the meat, not if I'm in the meat. If I'm watching the meat, I'm going to eat all the worst shit imaginable because that's the best snack food. Uh, so meat day snacks for me, we kind of talked about this a little bit in the recon video if you haven't seen it. Um, I will usually eat like a, a pretty good sized breakfast. The, the belly bloat helps my squat but doesn't really help anything else. And then I'll graze throughout the day. I personally will graze with like peanut butter and crackers. Uh, the fats keep my blood sugars, you know, stable. They don't make me crash up and down. Um, it's easily digestible because they're healthy, unrefined fats. It's like natural peanut butter. Little Ritz crackers keep some sodium in my system and some usable carbohydrates and fruit. So I'll either use like applesauce tubs because they're real easy to open up and get down. Uh, the little cuties like clementine oranges, I love those. If I can find them, I will get them at a grocery store nearby and carry those with me. Um, some people like bananas and stuff like that. I like bananas. There are other people who can eat solid food pretty comfortably. I'm not one of those that can eat like cold chicken and cold steak and rice. It's disgusting when it's cold. Um, if the gym happens to have like a microwave right here to cook that, I know that ahead of time. I have no problem bringing that. Chicken's easily digestible with rice and so forth and teriyaki sauce tastes amazing. I would definitely do so. But since I travel to a lot of meats, I don't always have that luxury. So it's not necessarily on the cards for me to do that. So the, the peanut butter and crackers I can get at any grocery store, any convenience store and get what I need there anywhere. I don't usually like to eat anything heavy. What I mean by that is if you're eating like a big thing of bacon and steak and the whole nine or like heavy beef jerky, it's gonna take a lot of energy for you to digest that and break that down and you don't know how you're gonna feel. Mm -hmm. So you wanna keep it as easily absorbable and digestible as possible. There are some people who literally just do like breakfast and then liquid meals throughout the whole meat. Like they'll do protein shakes and uh, like liquid carb sources, um, uh, like baby cereal or like Rice Krispies is totally fine. Uh, applesauce, things like that, you know, pureed stuff, baby food. Um, because it's super easily digestible and they're just staying, they're just staying somewhat well fed, but not getting full. That's the biggest mistake people make usually. Like I talk about this often. We've talked about this on a lot of podcasts. The candy eaters fade by deadlift. Always. The people who are eating Sour Patch Kids on squats are always flat on deadlifts because their blood sugar has crashed and they've depleted down because it's not sustainable energy. 
You want things that are gonna digest a little bit moderate, a little bit slow. That's one of the reasons why I like the healthy fats in there with my food, because it kind of keeps my blood sugar stable. I'm not one to crash that way. The candy eaters always crash. The people who have heavy, heavy refined or fat foods. I've seen people order in like Uber Eats <laughs> while they're competing in a meat and get like pizza or chicken sandwiches and whatnot. I'm like, how? How do you how do you eat fried chicken sandwiches while you're competing and expect to lift well? I mean, unless that's your daily intake. It might be if you're a super heavyweight. But unless that's like your daily intake, how are you competing off of that? You want to think of it, your meat day, as like your body's a race car. And you wouldn't put the cheapest fuel possible in a race car. You'd put the best fuel possible in a race car. So you want to have the cleanest gas possible. So that's a day to kind of eat a little bit cleaner and whatnot. After the meat, you're done. Have all the snacks in the world. All the people who bring like cool baked goods and stuff like that, I will definitely eat your baked goods, but it's not going to be until after I've taken my third deadlift because mm -hmm. I don't want to put something I don't know in my system just in case it's going to make me sick. Yeah. I like I like a lot of the same things. Like I really like bananas. I'm kind of a grazer in general anyways. Edward um, says Serge has a microwave. Cool. I'm still not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long distance to travel with that food from Florida to Chicago. <laughs> So I like, I like stuff like bananas. Um, I like oats with peanut butter because I know that, that sits well for me and I can eat that cold and I'm fine with it. Um, I like cereal because that's easy for me to just snack and graze on. Rice cakes are also a good thing that's easy for me to snack and graze on. Um, uh, like whole fruit strips or fruit squeeze pouches. I like those too. Like, like literally if you go in the baby food aisle and they have like the pouches. Um, there's another brand called like Fuel for Fire that I that I buy, and they have like 10 grams of added protein to them. I buy those. I find those to be really helpful. You can also find them. Um, a lot of endurance athletes use them, so a lot of the companies have like those gel packs and endurance Blue athletes. Gels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, you'll you'll recognize that like if it's, if a triathlete's going to use it who has to sustain energy for a very long period of time, it's probably a great fuel source for you on meat day as well. Yeah, um, I do love goo gels. This is a good question though. Any food recommendations near Surge? Hit yes. me up. Edward, Edward, right? Edward Blair. Uh, I don't know if I've ever met him, but I will soon probably. Edward is your guy in, he actually trains with Charlie, I think, at Surge. If you buy food here, LOL. So Edward, I need you to hit me up all the food recommendations around town because we're going to be there for like four days. I mean, I already know about like Lou Monati's pizza. What's the other one? You know that I like, li you know that I like lifted out there before, right? Not everybody <laughs> is you. They're on this podcast and but Jimmy doesn't live there is waiting for this information. I was just about to answer the question. You're very special. <laughs> I was just about to answer the question. I love you very much. You can hit up Edward Blair and he'll give you the recommendations. <laughs> Um, Jimmy, you compete on Sunday, so Sunday night or Monday, you need to hit up Portillo's. Her, hot dogs and hamburgers. Mm -hmm. Really good. Unless yeah. you want to go in town, right? Jude, what is it called? Well, that's going to be like 40 minute drive. Oh, 40 we're minute in drive. The, we're in the suburbs. Um, we're not in Chicago. We're like 30 minutes away from Chicago. In my mind, it's all the same. Yeah, it's not very close. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, there's a lot of food in the area. It's very suburban, so you're going to hit a lot of chain restaurants and stuff. But, um... Even if I buy food, even if we buy food there, I'm not going to make meal prep chicken and rice in the hotel. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> so I'm not going to, I'm still not going to eat We're it. coming to Edward's house to cook. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I think we got an extended stay or something that has a microwave and kitchen and all that stuff to it. But I just, I don't like those things on meat day. Like I always get grossed out when people are like eating ground beef and rice. Cause I'm like, that's for one, I think that's disgusting any day of the week because I don't not like Not if you put teriyaki sauce on there. I don't like ground beef and rice. Uh, but it just smells gross. I think Tupperware food That's smells true. gross. It smells like it's someone shit it out is what it smells like. So is that what this week smelled like? Yes. <laughs>
Ground beef and rice. <laughs> I will never be able to eat Tupperware and eat rice. <laughs> That's pretty funny. But no, it, it coincides with, you know, nothing new on meat day, which we talked about earlier. So if you're used to eating certain foods out of meat, you should generally stick with them unless they've just been crappy foods in your crash. Um, I have seen some people just do that. Like if you like rice, you can get plain rice krispies. That is rice. It's just puff rice and it's fortified with vitamins and minerals to kind of help you out today. So you can use that as an easy carb source throughout the day, puff rice. I generally like some fats with that to keep the blood sugar stable. So that's where you can add like natural peanut butters and stuff like that or almond butters and nut butters that are natural because they're easily digestible. They're not hard to digest and they keep you sustained throughout the day. You really don't need heavy amounts of protein while you're competing. That's the hardest part for your body to break down and do things. So if you're having heavy amounts of protein and so forth, you know, you want to avoid that. We do love the Ritz crackers and creamy peanut butter. That's it's like just our delicious. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's delicious. That tends to be our go-to. So. Culture neutral for meat day. I actually do have plenty of things on meat day. So usually in my intra workout drink, I have like a half scoop of the greens anyways. Um, so that's that's in there in my replenishment. I've talked about it in the recon video, so I use that to help replenish everything I've already lost. It's in there anyways. I have two servings of the Hype 2.0 on meat day, one before squats, one before deadlifts. I don't take any stimulants before bench because who cares, it's bench you're laying down anyways. So, but yeah, I'll have two servings of that. I'll have my culture neutral multivitamin all day long and stuff like that. And before bed, I'll take the magnesium citrate and the good night. So yeah, that, that stays with me regardless. Uh, we actually do use our own products. Unlike some people who just hire like an influencer or whatever, we use our own products. The whole counter is filled with them. Except I don't use pre-workout, but that's, I don't use any pre-workout. Not a caffeine um, I don't, I, I like energy drinks, but I just, I don't do very well with the actual powdered pre-workout. They make me feel bad. Like just bad. Like I just don't feel good. So I use the same. I use the multi and like the fish oil, the magnesium. Uh, and I don't think I, I think you give me a probiotic on meat day just to make sure that I'm processing the food well Every and day. everything. Every morning um, with breakfast, I think I got her probiotic, her multivitamin. Uh, she has her high potency, uh, the fish oil one. It's lemon scented. So you don't burp up fish scent. Lemon flavored. Lemon flavored. Uh, she gets the magnesium glycinate before bed. She gets good night before bed, the whole nine, and her woman's multi twice Trevor a day. Trevor is wonderful and sets out all of my pills at nighttime and for the morning. Like we ha at night, he has this whole routine where he goes through and sets out all his pills for the nighttime. He sets my nighttime out pills too, and then also sets out my morning pills. So that way, when I wake up in the morning, they're ready to go, and I can just take them. That is code for it. Trevor is neurotic. <laughs> Trevor, is I am neurotic. habitual. <laughs> I do. She. I will get grumpy if someone breaks up my routine and my habit. I do not like my routine and habit broken, and I have my day set every time the same way because that's even my if it's, habit. Even if it's you that breaks up the yeah. routine or habit, you get grumpy. I get all grumpy. I don't like it. I do He'll not like, like I did, like, I did this to myself. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like it. I like routine. Um, I'm reading a cool book. It's called The One Thing by, by Robert Keller and something Papazian. I can't remember his business partner's name. They started Keller Williams, and he really talks about that. That discipline is overrated. Most people don't have lifelong discipline or willpower and that is something that can fatigue. You just need enough discipline to start a new habit and once that's your habit and your routine, you're with it for life. So we always talk about sustainability, your training habits, your nutrition habits, your meat day habits, whatever. So the goal is always to create good habits and make good choices. And that's all you have to do because once it's a habit, it's with you forever. Like I super get cranky when someone breaks my habits and routine. It's true. It's true. All right, so I think that's probably good for today. Yep. Thank you guys for dropping in some great questions. Uh, Jimmy, Edward, we'll see you guys soon out in Chicago. I think we fly out there next Thursday. Yep. So if you guys are around, oh, we do fly next Thursday. So maybe we're gonna have to do the podcast on Wednesday. Uh, we land early so we could always record oh, it. Oh, there. we might be live from Chicago or then. No, 
No, we land late. So no, we, we can actually late. do it. I think we can do it before. It just okay. might be a little early. We'll figure it out. Either we'll, we'll do it. We'll post it. Time. We'll post it. Either we'll do it Wednesday. We'll do it early Thursday before we fly out. But either way, we'll make sure we answer your questions and provide information and help the community as much as we can. So please support Culture Nutra. Uh, follow Riley if you don't. If you're on mine, you already follow me. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Just make sure you're also following Culture Nutra. And the podcast gets released on Monday. You can listen to it in its entirety. So you don't have to stay on all day here. And uh, please share the podcast. Appreciate y'all. Thank you.